as his congregation, a special welcome also to any guests who may be in our midst this morning. There are a few announcements from Consistory. First of all, Classis Northern Ontario is scheduled, Lord willing, for Friday, December 13, 2019. Matters for the agenda are to be submitted to the Owen Sound Canadian Reformed Church by Friday, November 15, 2019. Secondly, the deacons will be holding a door collection today for the Centre Wellington Pregnancy Centre after the afternoon service. Uh, and finally, Consistory will meet, Lord willing, Monday, November 4th at 8 o'clock p.m. So far, the announcements. Let us rise then and lift up our hearts to worship the Lord our God. We begin our worship service by confessing our dependence upon the Lord our God. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive the Lord's greeting also this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship God with the words of Psalm 42, stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 5.
How often in uh, this life we have to remind ourselves in, in those deep places uh, to, to hope yet again in God. And He is the God of hope. Uh, and one of the things we'll see in our sermon even this, uh, later on this morning is uh, that that hope uh, also leads to a commitment to holiness. And we see that also in the Ten Commandments where God shows us His deliverance and the hope that He's given us and also how uh, that, that leads to holiness and what that holiness looks like. So every week we read the Ten Commandments, the Law of God. You can find them in Exodus 20. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Our Lord Jesus summarized these ten words by teaching us the very heart of the law, which is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This, he said, is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and all the prophets. Having then heard God's law, let's prepare our hearts to confess our sins by singing together from Psalm 25, stanzas 3 and 4.
Let's come before the Lord God now in prayer. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we are reminded already now at the very outset of this worship service of the fact that You are holy. As the angels in heaven, those who have never sinned, yet they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. O Lord God, we, we know that we often lose sight of Your holiness. Our lives bear witness to this fact because we often pursue and enjoy and sometimes even live for things that are unholy, things that are not pleasing to You. And so, Lord, we now ask for Your mercy. We recognize that we have sinned in many ways. We recognize that we stand guilty and condemned by, by Your perfect justice. And we recognize that You would do no wrong at all were You to cast every one of us into eternal condemnation. Yet we ask for Your mercy, O Lord, and we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that You would forgive our sins and wash us in His blood poured out for us. Uh, we know that You are uh, merciful and gracious, uh, that You have given Christ for this very purpose, to die uh, in this world, to die to sin, and to rise up to new life, so that we, Your people, might also be forgiven of our sins, be cleansed of, of our former lives, and be raised up to new lives. And so, Lord, we pray for Your forgiveness. Forgive the sins uh, of rebellion uh, of breaking your law uh, that we ourselves know all too well, uh, even in this past week. Uh, see, see us through the lens of Christ's blood poured out for us and not uh, for the sins that we have committed. And, O oh Lord, we uh, also pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit to now lead us to that new life. Just as you raised Christ from the dead, that you would also raise our lives from death that you'd raise our lives to new life, to holiness, uh, to uh, following in your good paths. You are a God who not only saves sinners, but also teaches sinners the way to go, that shows them the new way of life and empowers them for that life. And so we pray, uh, show us these things, even through your word preached this morning, that we might see uh, in, in your preached word the, the way of life that you set out for us, and that you give us as a gift through Jesus Christ. We pray, bless our worship service then in all that we do, uh, that our songs of praise might also reflect uh, the work that you do in our hearts and give you the glory that you deserve. We pray all this in Christ's name alone. Amen. As we've just sung only a moment ago, God is a God of mercy and goodness towards those who confess their sins. And, and those sinners are not only forgiven, but also instructed. And that's our hope. That's our reason for being here this morning, to not only hear God's forgiveness, but then to be taught by Him and to do so with a free and good conscience. So let's hear God's Word uh, with, with uh, the joy that belongs to the Christian life. Amen. Uh, let's then open God's Word. This morning, and our first reading will come from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. We'll read verses 1 through 18.
Leviticus 19, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it on or, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted, it will not be accepted, and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the... You shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So far from Leviticus, let's also turn now to 1 Peter First Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1. We'll start again in verse 1. I know we've read those verses a few times now, but to hear uh, the, the text that we'll focus on, to hear that in context, let's start again in verse 1. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 21. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not, they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So far, the reading of God's word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 62, stanzas 1, 4, and 7.
The specific verses that we want to pay attention to this morning are verses 13 through 21 of 1 Peter chapter 1. I won't read those verses again uh, right now, but we will be working through them over the course of the sermon, uh, so you may be helped by having your Bibles open to them. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the text in front of us really does get to the heart of the whole purpose of this letter of 1 Peter. It's the heart of Peter's message to these believers. It makes it somewhat of an intimidating sermon to preach. I had to polish it and rewrite parts of it as I prepared for this because it's hard to do justice to a text like this, but here we go. Uh, So Peter sets in front of us the the very heart of the Christian life, which is uh, the the interplay or the place where hope meets and leads to holiness. Where hope meets and leads to holiness. Uh, The Christian life, as we've seen in the last several sermons on Peter, the Christian life is a life of hope. Uh, It's all about our hope. It's grounded in the gospel, which gives us hope. And then the Christian life, the living out of that life, is a life of holiness, flowing out of that gospel hope. So hope and holiness, where they come together, there is the Christian life. Now remember that Peter is is writing this to a group of scattered believers uh, who are about to experience another fierce wave of persecution. Many of them have already lost their jobs. Some have lost their homes. Uh, Some of them have been kicked out of their families. So as we we step into this text, that's also part of the frame of mind we want to have. Peter's trying to address these, these scattered, suffering believers And you might ask yourself, what would you say to them? What would you say if you were asked to uh, somehow comfort or speak to these scattered, persecuted believers? If you can sort of imagine you've been flown out to China and and the the churches there have arranged for you to join them in one of their worship services. And then afterwards, uh, imagine they ask you, uh, as as a Christian from Canada, could you speak a word to us? Uh, Would you say something for us? Uh, What would you say to them uh, as they're suffering? Well, Peter brings it back to this basic idea of hope and holiness coming together. Uh, The hope is is there in the verses right before our text, which we've been working through in the past weeks. It's hope, as as we saw in verses 1 and 2, hope because we've been chosen in God Hope because we've been uh, covered in the blood of Christ. Hope because we're set apart by the Spirit. All that's there in verses 1 and 2. Uh, and, and hope uh, in verses, uh, the, the, the subsequent verses, verses 3 through 9. Uh, hope because even the sufferings that we endure, these sufferings that these persecuted churches were experiencing, even those come from the hand of God. They're not by accident. Uh, they're not... Uh, God being cruel, they are God refining and and purifying their their Christian hope and faith. Uh, And so even knowing that produces hope. Uh, And so now Peter says in verse 13, Therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope 
fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the first command in this letter. It's the first imperative in this letter. Everything else that has come before has been Peter just reminding these believers of their hope, telling them why they have cause for hope. Now comes the first exhortation, which is make those truths, make that gospel your Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And now that, that exhortation comes with two uh, sort of subordinate commands. Uh, in, in, also in verse 13, uh, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. So uh, these are things that we must do if we are to be able to set our hope fully on Christ. If you want to do that, you must uh, prepare your minds for action and get sober or be sober-minded. Uh, now, the, the command, prepare your, your minds for action, uh, is uh, kind of a fun one in the Greek. Uh, it is literally in the Greek, gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, now, that may be a foreign expression to us, but in biblical times, men wore these long, flowing robes, uh, and uh, if, if for any reason they, they needed to, to get ready for action, whether it was going to be a fight or they had to run somewhere, uh, what they would do is they would take their robes and they would tuck them between their legs and then wrap them around their waist, and all of a sudden they're wearing a pair of shorts. Uh, and, and that was called girding up uh, one's loins. Uh, now, Peter, so, so it's a way of being dressed for action, and so Peter takes that idea uh, and he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, it's it's an interesting expression. It's an odd one. Uh, you don't find it elsewhere in Scripture. And, and I can't help but think Peter wrote that with a bit of a smile on his face. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's making that up. I don't think that's, a, uh, uh, that's, that's not attested anywhere else in, in the Greek. Uh, so he says, gird up the loins of your mind. And, and sort of an English equivalent would be something like, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Get your mind ready for action. Get it ready to work. Uh, the, the ESV uh, just says, prepare your minds for action. And that, that does capture the, the sense. Uh, so, so for Peter, nothing is more important for these Christians uh, that, that they set their hope on Christ, that their ambitions and purpose and identity is all fixed upon Christ. And for that to happen... Peter recognizes their minds are going to need to be engaged with the gospel hope. Now, you can't fix your hope on Christ while letting your mind uh, sit around and do nothing. Uh, the way to get that hope forefront is through your minds. Uh, your minds need to be prepared to be engaged with that hope. Uh, you need to be prepared to think, uh, to work through the doctrines that give you hope. Uh, so Peter envisions all these, these trials coming, headed their way, like this wave of, of trials coming their way. And how do you get ready for that? Uh, Peter says, start with your minds. Get your minds ready for, for action, or you will be otherwise knocked off course. Uh, you will forget your hope. You will lose your perspective. You'll give in to, to anger when injustice is, is done against you. Uh, or, or you'll give in to bitterness because of the circumstances that God has given you. Uh, and it will be very easy to succumb to temptations that will come with those 
uh, trials unless your minds are engaged with the hope that is yours in Christ. Uh, The way to stay on course, to remember your hope, to stay focused on that hope is to have your minds ready for action. And, And if that was true then, in Peter's day, Certainly that would also be true now in our day. Uh, We too have cause to to prepare our minds for action. It's good for us to remember uh, our our brothers and sisters in in North Korea or in China and the persecuted churches there. They pray for us. They pray for us uh, that that we would not succumb uh, to the temptations that are in front of us, the apathy, the worldliness uh, that, that, that we have to deal with, the compromise uh, with, with, with our society. Uh, they recognize those are real trials facing us, and they pray that our minds would be fixed upon the hope that's ours in Christ. And so if we are, for our part, to stay on course, uh, to keep our, our hope fixed on Christ, our minds must be prepared for action. Now, one of the, the very practical things that that means uh, is, is something as simple as being here for worship on a, on a regular basis. Uh, that, that's critically important to your minds being engaged with that hope. There's no way that you're going to live a fruitful Christian life without being regularly with God's people for worship. Uh, there's no way. If you want to, to stay on course and you want to even grow in maturity and live a fruitful Christian life, uh, then begin here in worship with God's people. Uh, I've never seen anyone miss out on regular worship and somehow still live a fruitful Christian life. It doesn't happen. That's not the way that God's intended for us to grow and mature. Uh, so it's, it's, it's beginning here in worship that our minds are engaged with the hope of the gospel. Uh, it's here in worship we hear the word of God preached and, and read and explained uh, together with God's people. It's here that through the psalms that we sing and the hymns that we sing, our minds are engaged with the hope uh, that is ours. And our hearts are, are also called up into that hope. Uh, so that's where it begins. Preparing our minds for worship be, or for, for, for action begins with worship with God's people. It also means taking, taking what happens here in worship back into our homes. Uh, so that's not only a regular fellowship with, with other Christians during the week, uh, praying, uh, encouraging other Christians, but also taking that hope to our families, engaging our families with that hope. Uh, that needs to be happening for our minds to be engaged with the hope that is ours. Uh, preparing your minds for action uh, also means personal engagement with the Word of God. Uh, even if it's as small as five minutes a day, it's being constantly, regularly engaged with the Word of God. There your mind is called into the truth that is yours in Christ, the truth that makes you a Christian, that gives you hope. Uh, So uh, the first sort of subordinate command is prepare your minds for action. The second one that Peter mentions is that we are also to be sober in our minds. We are to be sober-minded. If it's true that our minds uh, are are essential to sustaining that and even deepening that hope, well, then our minds must also be sober. A a drunken mind 
cannot be prepared for action and cannot possibly stay fixed on that hope. And here, Peter's not just talking about drunkenness from alcohol, uh, though undoubtedly it would include that. In fact, he, ex- he explicitly mentions that later on. Uh, but, but here he's thinking far more broadly. Uh, it, it is guarding ourselves against anything that would cloud our judgment, that would obscure the clarity of our minds. Uh, we are to be awake and alert, sober-minded, If we are to stay on course in the Christian life, and think here especially of these persecuted believers, uh, if they are to stay on course, uh, particularly in the face of persecution, their minds must be sober. Uh, Their their thinking must be clear. That might lead us to ask, uh, what what sorts of things might cloud our judgment, might obscure our, our thinking And we could certainly think of several. These are several that come up in this letter from Peter. Uh, First of all, the the lusts, desires, and temptations of the world. There's there's the most obvious uh, thing that would cloud our judgment. The lusts, desires, and temptations of the world. Uh, It's so easy, even for persecuted Christians, to fall into the lusts, desires, and temptations of the world. Uh, Chapter 4 delves into this in in great detail. Uh, Sexual temptations. Their culture was just as sexually charged uh, as as ours is, with with orgies and all kinds of perverted parties happening in the streets and in the homes. Uh, and, And those would bring temptation. To Christians, we, we sometimes think you know persecute, persecuted Christians don't struggle with these things. Well, of course they do, uh, just as we do. Uh, drunkenness, uh, greed, gambling—all of those temptations existed in that day as they do in in ours. Uh, and, and persecuted Christians, like any, are susceptible to those temptations. Uh, and when we give ourselves over to them. It obscures our judgment. It clouds our thinking. We lose sight of our hope. We lose our focus. And so certainly that would be one thing that might cloud our, our judgment. Another we might mention is fear. Uh, Peter speaks uh, in several places in this letter about fear and how fear can cloud our judgment. Uh, this would be true especially for those churches facing persecution, how the fear of the unknown, the fear of what might happen, uh, can obscure their hope. Uh, it, can, it can overwhelm our minds. It can cloud our judgment when we're ruled by fear. And we end up making decisions out of fear. Uh, and so being sober-minded means asking questions like, what am I afraid of? You know, what fears threaten my hope? Uh, where does fear tend to rule me? You know, the Lord Jesus uh, once said, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear him who, cast, who can cast both body and soul into hell. Uh, th- there's fear that we are called to, and there's fear that we are called away from. Uh, Peter, Peter says as well uh, later on to, to Christian wives, uh, submit to your husbands uh, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Uh, fear can just cloud our judgment and overwhelm our minds. Uh, perhaps number three, anger and rage. Anger and rage can cloud our judgment. Uh, Peter also speaks about this at length in this letter. And we can well imagine how these early Christians uh, would have really struggled with anger and rage. 
Uh, They themselves were violated. Their homes were often taken from them. Uh, Their employers, uh, in many cases, sent them away. Their families were personally attacked. Uh, And and so anger and rage can just overwhelm us. We're so angry at, at injustices perpetrated against us that we lose sight of our hope. Uh, We might even take a moment to imagine that many of these believers to whom Peter is is writing may well have been scattered in the first place by none other than the Apostle Paul. You think about that. Paul was on his road to Damascus uh, to persecute the church when when he was uh, encountered by the Lord Jesus. Uh, and, and he was busy in that task of, of driving churches, pe- dragging people off to prison and scattering the church. So many of the people Peter's now writing to may have been in the first place persecuted and scattered by none other uh, than, than Paul. Uh, so we might well imagine how hard would it have been for them to then receive Paul as an apostle. Can you imagine being one of those Christians uh, who then hears, oh, this man Paul apparently has been uh, converted and and now he wants to even uh, preach and and teach in the Christian church. How anger and rage would have overwhelmed some of them and made it impossible to accept that somehow this man can now be not only welcomed into the fold, but even received as an apostle. That takes a sober mind to accept. Uh, If you are willing to be ruled by anger and rage, it will ultimately overcome you and destroy you. It will be your master. It will obscure your hope and cloud your judgment and destroy your Christian uh, faith. Now, there is absolutely a place for righteous anger, uh, but we are still called to overcome evil with good, uh, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Peter uh, will speak very soon at length about this. So, be sober-minded. Be merciful as Christ is merciful to you. Uh, Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Love as Christ loves you. Do not let anger or rage obscure your hope. Uh, Number four, uh, just one last thing we might think of that might obscure one's hope. Material comfort. Uh, Just simple material comfort. Uh, Even though persecution and fear can cloud our, our judgment, so also can material comfort and the apathy that comes with it. Uh, The Christian church in the West, and that would include us, uh, the Christian church is so often drunk with with apathy, drunk with comfort, drunk with worldly, uh, just worldliness. Uh, Our passions, our desires, our our emotions, and and our priorities uh, are, are so often shaped by the culture around us because we're complacent. Uh, We don't see uh, the hope. We don't long for that hope because we're just fine in this world. It's comfortable enough already. Uh, So we don't uh, don't pray for the kingdom of God to come as we should. We don't uh, cry out against the evils and injustices of this world as we should. Uh, And we don't long for the spread of the gospel in the world as we should because we're drunk with worldly comfort. Uh, that too is, is a form of drunkenness where you just float along with your culture. Uh, so again, be sober-minded. Live as an exile uh, with a healthy fear of becoming 
comfortable in this world. Uh, fight for, for clarity of mind uh, and, and for hope. Uh, so then Peter urges us, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's, that's really the heart of, of the Christian life. Uh, or at least that's the first half. That's the hope, and then that hope leads to holiness. Uh, holiness is the outworking of that hope. It's taking that hope in and then living that hope out. Uh, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Uh, when our hope is set on the grace that is ours in Christ, uh, then the outworking of that hope will be uh, a life that is holy and good, as our Heavenly Father is holy and good. I want to say something here about uh, holiness. Uh, for some reason, holiness is not seen in our uh, culture, and oftentimes even within the church, it's not seen as, as a really attractive quality. Uh, holiness is somehow oddly uh, equated with uh, being stifled or boring or dry or dusty. It falls into that, uh, that emotional category of, of words. Uh, well, if that's the case, I, I want to just shake that connotation from, from our minds. Holiness is that quality of God before which the angels tremble. It's the, the quality of God that makes even angels in all their might and majesty tremble before God. It's the one thing in the Bible that God is called three times uh, in a row. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Uh, holiness is that, that absolute set-apartness of God, set apart uh, from all that is imperfect and tainted. It's that quality that, uh, by which God r- remains absolutely perfect, absolutely uncompromised with, with sin and corruption and perversion and filth and, and short-sightedness uh, and selfishness that, that, uh, that characterizes sin. Uh, it is that quality that, that really marks every one of God's other perfections. Uh, God's love is a holy love. Uh, God, uh, it's a love that is pure and, and uncompromised uh, that says, because I love this people, I will send Christ to die for them. It's an uncompromised love. Uh, God's wrath is a holy wrath. Uh, a wrath that does not Uh, make exceptions, that does not compromise with sin, that does not show partiality. Uh, God's thoughts are holy. Uh, God sees truth with holy vision, uncompromised with delusions, uncompromised with emptiness, the way that our sight uh, so often is. Uh, So holiness is really the furthest thing from that which is dry or, or, or boring or stifling. It's holiness that makes righteous men take up arms against evil in this world because they have a holy hatred for that which is evil and a holy love for that which is worth protecting. That's, that's holiness. It's holiness that makes righteous women adorn themselves with that which is truly lasting and beautiful in this world. Uh, it's holiness to the degree that we have it. It's holiness that makes, makes us wise counselors. 
or or faithful friends uh, to one another because holiness is being uncompromised by folly, uh, by by selfishness, and and instead being ruled by the knowledge and love of that which is true. Uh, That is God's holiness. Uh, And so that's what it means when, when Peter says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct as obedient children. Now again, that takes great discipline of the mind. Uh, if, if we are to be holy, that will, that will begin in our thoughts. Our thoughts are to be holy. Our thoughts are to be uh, brought into conformity with that which is true. Uh, we are to uh, soak our minds, as it were, in the Word of God. Uh, we are to learn discernment even over that which lives within us. Uh, that which might be unholy within us, to see it and to fight against it. Uh, It takes great discipline of the mind. Uh, So as we hope on the grace that is ours in Christ, uh, we are to strive to live as a people that are distinctly holy in an unholy world. Uh, Peter says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, that's, that's a phrase that's worth a sermon all in its own right. Uh, the passions of your ignorance. Uh, ignorance, apparently, has passions. Uh, ignorance has its own set of desires. Uh, just as the knowledge of the truth will produce certain passions, uh, so also does ignorance of the truth. It produces its own set of passions. Where there's no knowledge of God, certain emotions, certain passions will rule us in the absence of any knowledge of the truth. Uh, As an ignorant people, we, we would chase after whatever passions happen to live within us. Uh, having no knowledge of the truth. Those passions might be, again, anger and rage. Uh, Without the truth, those passions rule us and ultimately destroy us. Uh, Those passions might be lust. They might be greed. They might be envy. Uh, They are passions that that do not have a knowledge of the truth. Uh, So so, uh, they rule us. Those passions rule us because... The knowledge of the truth doesn't. That, that's what Paul's, or Peter's getting at with passions of your former ignorance. Uh, but where there is knowledge of God's truth and God's grace, our passions also change. Uh, so anger uh, does not drive us to madness, uh, but is rather kept in check by the knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of God's grace, the knowledge of that which is good, uh, so that even something like anger becomes a productive thing, something that is used in the service of that which is good. It leads to, to righteousness. So also uh, lust. Lust no longer rules us because uh, f- from the perspective of knowledge, you see how empty, how foolish, uh, how stupid uh, lust is. Uh, and so our passions are also changed. We, we have a new passion for that which is good, that which leads to life, uh, that which is pure and, and wholesome. Uh, with knowledge of the truth comes passions shaped by that knowledge. And once again, the engagement of our minds is is absolutely essential. As Paul says in uh, Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Engage your minds on these things. And you see it as well in Romans 12, uh, verse 1. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Gird up the loins of your minds. Uh, Get ready for action by, by getting familiar with that which is true and letting that shape your passions. Uh, Peter says further in verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Uh, And he gives a a couple of reasons for that fear. Now it's interesting, Peter uh, here in verse 17 says, conduct yourselves with fear. Uh, And I just finished telling you, don't don't do that (laughs) in a sense. Don't be ruled by fear. and how many of us would, would, would think of fear as, as something that is also good in another sense? Uh, Peter, in, in so many places in this letter, says don't be ruled by fear. Don't fear what they fear. Don't fear that which is frightening. Uh, Paul says as well, perfect love, uh, or I think that's John actually, says uh, perfect love casts out all fear. Uh, so there is an unhealthy fear that we are to cast out of our Christian lives. Uh, It's the fear of those that stand condemned. It's a life of fear. They live as those terrified of hell uh, because they know that's the direction in which their lives are are headed. Uh, In addition, there's also the the unhealthy fear of man that, that rules this world. Uh, fear of others, fear of people's opinions that that can rule us, and and that too is to be cast out. Uh, And really what both of those have in common, whether it's fear of hell or fear of man, what both of them have in common is the absence of any knowledge of God, the absence of any knowledge of the grace of God. There's no loving relationship with God. Uh, so, uh, they, they are a form of fear that leads to alienation from the living God. That is to be cast out. But there is another kind of fear that the, the Scriptures commend to us, and it's the fear of one who trusts in God. The fear of one who knows God's grace. Uh, and, and what that fear is afraid of, uh, that fear is afraid of the, anything that might undermine one's assurance of God's love. Uh, it's the fear of Psalm 130. Uh, very interesting phrase. The psalmist says, With you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. And with God there's forgiveness, so that he might be feared. Uh, That's the kind of fear uh, that Peter is speaking of, uh, that we would come to love and trust God because of His grace, because of that forgiveness, that would lead us to a deep reverence, awe, and yes, fear, healthy fear of God. Uh, Peter gives two two specific reasons why we should conduct ourselves with fear. Uh, Number one, he says, because you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each man's deeds. Uh, we, we have the privilege of knowing God, the, the not only creator of this world, uh, but also the judge of this world. We get to know Him as our Father. 
that's a great place of grace, but it's also a place with a, that, that carries with it a certain sense of, of fear. It, it's reason for caution, for self-examination. Uh, we conduct ourselves with fear, not because we're under the judgment of God, but because we get to call that judge our Father. It comes with a certain uh, fear, a certain uh, honor for God, a fear of living as a hypocrite, a fear of living as someone whose life does not conform to the holiness of his Father. It's a fear of taking that name of God that is given to us, taking that name in vain. Uh, Number two, he also says we conduct ourselves with fear also because we know that we were ransomed from the futile ways of our forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or, uh, or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Uh, you fear, uh, that might not be super intuitive, but we fear because we've been ransomed with the precious blood uh, of Christ. Uh, you might say, you, you might think, well, isn't that a good reason not to fear? <laughs> because you've been ransomed with the blood uh, of Christ. Uh, and it's true, you don't need to fear the wrath of God uh, uh, because you've been ransomed with the blood of Christ. Uh, and yet Peter does say, conduct yourselves with fear because of this very thing. And the reason it's a cause for fear as much as it's a cause for joy is because we know at what tremendous cost we were delivered from a life of sin and the judgment that ensues. Uh, we know uh, how much it cost and that there's nothing more that God could ever have paid. Uh, and, and that means this is not something to play games with. Uh, we, we know what it cost to deliver us from that life. And so we tremble lest we should ever slip back into that life. It's the fear of one who knows how close he was to being eternally lost. Uh, I've heard it described in a sermon before. It's as if you're standing on on a cliff and and even falling over. You lose your balance and you fall over. And someone comes and and grabs you back in. Uh, Even though you're safe, you tremble. You'll be shaking for the next five minutes. You'll be trembling because you realize how close you were to falling Uh, how close you were to being lost. And that is, though we are safe, a cause for fear. Uh, It's the fear of knowing that though God's grace was free, it certainly was not cheap. Uh, So we conduct ourselves with fear. We prepare our minds for action. We make sure that we stay sober. We fix our our hope on the grace that that will come with Christ. Uh, And that hope then leads to a life of holiness. Uh, Really, that is the essence of the Christian life, where hope meets holiness. So let me now just uh, bring this home with a couple words of uh, application. Number one, it will take effort. Uh, It will take strength and resilience uh, to set your hope daily on the grace that is yours in Christ. That doesn't just happen automatically. It takes uh, work. Now, that's work that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, Uh, But it is work. Uh, 
so many Christians just plug along at an absolute minimal level uh, of engagement with the hope that is theirs, uh, in, in so many respects, wasting the lives and opportunities that are before them because they think that, that deep faith and, and meaningful hope are things that God is just going to give uh, automatically, that, that they don't have to engage themselves uh, in. Uh, but it will not come by itself. You will not be prepared uh, as a church, uh, we would not be prepared to suffer persecution well, if in God's providence that should happen, unless we are engaged with that hope. Uh, get your minds ready for action, or uh, as, as the phrase goes, get your head in the game. Uh, get engaged with the hope that is yours. Uh, at the very least, find uh, Christian brothers if, or sisters, if you haven't already, uh, with whom you meet regularly and just encourage one another in the hope that is yours. Uh, read your, your scriptures as well. Read your, your Bibles. Even if it's uh, as small as five minutes a day, uh, th- that still adds up to five times seven, 35 minutes a week, uh, which over 52 weeks is something like 30 hours a year of meaningful growth, of meaningful time in the Word of God. Get your head in uh, the Word. Uh, number two, be sober-minded. Watch your passions. Watch your desires. Watch your emotions. Uh, guard yourself uh, against uh, the, the lusts and desires and temptations of the world. Uh, guard yourselves against unhealthy, uh, unrighteous fear. Uh, guard yourselves against anger and rage uh, or against material comfort and apathy. Uh, live as an exile with your hope fixed on Christ. And number three, lastly, desire with your whole being to have the whole Christ. Uh, Not just the Christ on the cross uh, who pays for your sins, but also the Christ who rose from the dead to give you new life. Desire uh, that work of Christ as well. Christ died to make us new, not just to forgive us, but also to make us new. It's not just hope, it's also holiness that is the gift of God that comes with Christ. Uh, He died not just to rescue us from the judgment for our sins, but from the sins themselves. Uh, To save us not just from hell, but also from that futile, empty life that was leading to hell. Uh, uh, Long and pray for that work of Christ to be yours as well. Uh, The Christian life is not something to play games with. Uh, That old life really is futile. It really is empty. And it's really not worth living. Uh, It really is destined for judgment. Desire the whole Christ, the one who makes you also new. Uh, So prepare your minds, be sober, set your hope on Christ, and live out of that hope in a life of holiness. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from hymn 70.
Before our prayer, consistory has an announcement to make. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the consistory has informed you that our sister Dana Saad has persisted in a life of sin. The purpose of these announcements was that by your prayers and admonitions, she might turn to the living God and thus be delivered from the power of Satan who has taken her captive. But to our deep sorrow, No one has informed us of the least evidence of true repentance, although she was warned by many. Her guilt, which was already serious, has only become all the heavier because of her persistence in sin. We have shown much patience with her, but now we know ourselves bound to proceed to the ultimate remedy given us by the Lord in His Word, namely exclusion from the communion of His church. This excommunication is intended to make our sister ashamed of her sins and also to ensure that this corrupt member does not afflict or does not affect the whole body which is Christ's church. Moreover, in this way the blaspheming of God's name is prevented. Christ Jesus has assigned the exercise of discipline to his office bearers with the words, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Therefore we as elders of the church of God in this place, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, excommunicate our sister Dana Saad from the church of the Lord because she obstinately persists in her sin. She is now excluded from the fellowship of Christ and from his kingdom. She may no longer use the sacraments. She has no part anymore in the spiritual blessings and benefits which Christ bestows on his church. And as long as she persists in her sins, let her be to you as a Gentile and an outcast. We warn you, beloved Christians, not to look upon her as an enemy. On the contrary, try to warn her as a sister. Do not associate with her that she may be ashamed and come to repentance. This excommunication, beloved, is a warning to us for us all. Let us fear the Lord and be cautious, for he who thinks he stands must take heed lest he fall. Continue in the true fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and also with all upright believers so that we may obtain eternal salvation. You have seen in what manner our excommunicated sister has lost the way, how she began to fall and gradually came to ruin. Learn from this how subtle Satan is in bringing man to destruction, and how he causes him to despise God's word and his sacraments. Therefore, resist evil from the very beginning. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let everyone repent of his sins, lest our God humble us again, and we have to grieve for yet another member of our congregation. Live with one one accord in godliness. Be our crown and joy in the Lord. Only the Lord who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure is able to keep us in the way of his commandments. Let us therefore call upon his holy name with confession of our sins. 
Let's come before God. Righteous God and merciful Father, before your holy majesty, we accuse ourselves because of our sins. We acknowledge that we have deserved the sorrow and grief caused by the excommunication of our sister. Yes, we are all worthy to be excluded from your presence because of our many transgressions. But, O Lord, be gracious to us for Christ's sake. We repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness. Work in us by your Spirit, so that we may endeavor to serve you more and more. Grant that we may shun pollution by the world and by those who have strayed from you. Grant that the excluded member may become ashamed of her sins and return to you, for you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Therefore we, your people, will always welcome those who return to you. Kindle in our hearts love and zeal, that by our admonitions as well as by our example, this excommunicated sister and others who live in unbelief may be brought back to you. Bless our endeavors that we may have reason to rejoice over her for whom we, we now must mourn, so that in this way your holy name be praised through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray as well for uh, our congregation that we might uh, live out of that holiness, uh, live out of that hope in a life of holiness to which you call us, that this may uh, be for us a reminder of how, how urgent the call is to live the gospel-shaped life in this world. Let each of us take heed, lest we should fall. Lord, we also pray for the church that suffers around the world, especially today on this International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. We pray that you would surround our brothers and sisters in uh, those lands where they face opposition and persecution for their faith, that you would surround them with grace, that you'd give them courage to boldly confess your name uh, and to, to live a life that is marked by your grace. Grant that they, even in their persecutions, might uh, keep that sober-mindedness, that clear thinking, that they might be engaged with their minds in the word, uh, so that they would not be overcome by anger or by fear uh, or by bitterness, uh, nor by the many temptations that afflict them just as they afflict us. Lord, we pray that you would uh, guard the, the church around the world and grant that the blood of the martyrs may continue to be the seed for your church, that their witness, uh, even as they suffer, their witness to your grace might be heard by many more uh, so that the nations would be brought to repentance, the gospel would go out in the world, and your spirit would bring in yet a great harvest through the witness uh, of, of all of us who suffer in this life. We pray this in Christ's name alone. Amen.
Receive now the blessing from the Lord our God that is ours in Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.